Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. We are in Hebrews chapter 2, and and we're going to come back to this tagline. You're going to see where this tagline continues to form. But as we've been in Hebrews, we've kept reminding ourselves that uh, we are to not drift away from Jesus. In fact, we should draw near to him because he is better. It's what we've been saying the last couple of weeks. You'll begin to see this idea of drifting really show up here as we jump into Hebrews chapter two. But before we do, let's do a, a little uh, test, I guess, so to speak. So I need you to kind of calibrate yourself direction wise in the room right now. And, uh, and I'm gonna test you a little bit here to see which of you can point to true north right now. Can anyone point to true north right now? Yeah, some, I saw some of you kind of turn your arrow. That's right. We're, hey, we're looking at least this way. That's where some of you are. Let me just test you a little bit here. I got my compass out. So right, oh, I'm off by a degree. Hold on. Right there, kind of in between the blue and the red one right there, the, those panels right there. That would be my, I'm angled towards true north right there. Now, Let's play another little game. If you were to do a day's drive, and I'm gonna say a day's drive is a good ways, okay? Because I like to travel a lot if, I, if I'm gonna jump in the car. So uh, think like over a thousand miles, a thousand and we'll call it 75 miles. If we were to go true north from this spot, anyone know where we get, anyone know where we end up? Anyone? We, Canada, good close. We're in North Dakota. Fun fact, you're in Fargo, North Dakota. True north from here, about 1,075 miles from here. Now, what happens if instead of pointed this way, we're just one degree off? Like, you didn't even see me move. But one degree of drift over the course of a day will put you not in North Dakota, but one degree, one day, it'll put you in a downer of a place. Like literally, you'll be in Downer, Minnesota. I'm not kidding. You can text this out. I'm literally, same mileage, one degree drift, and you're 18 miles off course. It's this little picture of geographical drifting that shows up. Now, multiply that by a week or a month or a year or even a lifetime. You can imagine the gulf by which you'll be off course. Now, geographical drifting is one thing, but uh, spiritual drifting's a completely different thing. Now, at some point, the, the analogy breaks down a little bit, but if we're gonna kind of aim for true north, and, 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 and we can define true north a variety of ways, I don't, don't hear me calling Fargo, North Dakota heaven here, right? Like, we, hopefully it's better than that. But this idea of there is a way that leads to life, Jeremiah calls it the good way. What does it look like when we begin to drift off that course? If we stay the course with Christ, we'll have a little chart up here. We stay the course. There's life and liberty in going the direction he calls it to. We're present with him and we're in a relationship. But when we begin to drift and we might drift to either side, we might drift into legalism where it becomes about performance and it becomes about doing religious things, but it's not about a relationship with Christ at that point. Or maybe we slide over to the licentious side where we become to get a 
be a little more passive towards God and there's rebellion in our heart. Or maybe you're like me that just isn't just drifting one degree in some of those areas. I'm like zigzagging between them. Some things I'm legalistic about, some things I'm licentious about. And it just paints this little picture of, hey, there's cost in drifting. We, we leave that, that fairway of life and liberty in being present with God in a relationship with him. And so geographical drifting is costly, but spiritual drifting is infinitely more costly. And it's with that in mind that the, that the author's kind of speaking to us this morning. Let me give you three kind of scary things about spiritual drifting. Is I wake up, I don't have to teach my heart to drift. All I have to do is wake up. Drifting is the default mode of my heart. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. This is a drifting factory. The second truth that can be uh, scary about spiritual drifting is I can be totally unaware and for a really long time that I'm drifting spiritually. I may think I'm in the middle of the fairway, but really I've been drifting and I look up and I'm miles and degrees off course. And then the third is that I can drift far away from God much quicker than I realize. But sometimes that drift gets me quickly far away. And as we spend time in Hebrews, as we consider who Christ is, it's just this picture of that life, the Christian life, is a life of constant recalibration. That as we kind of are figuring out, am I supposed to go this way? No, I'm getting redirected. Do I go this way? No, I need to be redirected. The Christian life is one of constant recalibration because drifting is serious business. Spiritual drifting is serious business. And it's with that degree of urgency that our pastor in Hebrews speaks. In Hebrews chapter two, I'm gonna read the first four verses to us now that we have that picture of the danger of drifting in our head. Verse one says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's our passage this morning. It's Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. And um, as we move through Hebrews, it's always important to remember where we are in the book of Hebrews because Hebrews, is, as Derek talked about two weeks ago, it's this sermon, it's this beautiful mixture of exposition and exhortation. And so we've got a slide up here that we're, we'll come back to from time to time. But exposition is this kind of conveyance of information. That was Hebrews chapter one, telling us all there is about, uh, about our, our Lord, about Christ. And then you'll see that he then can't help himself. He's got to stop for just four verses and give us a little exhortation that in light of these truths, this is what we're to do. And then next week, we'll pick right back up with Jesus and the angels in Hebrews 2, 5 through 18. And so you, got, you always want to know, am I in an exposition section or an exhortation section as we read Hebrews? The other thing is, as we read Hebrews, it's helpful to know which exhortation passage are we in. And so... When it comes to this, there's five exhortation passages in Hebrews and they're escalating. Do you see it? it? Starts with drifting. That's where we are this morning. But then drifting can turn into disbelieving, which can lead to dullness towards the gospel, 
which can lead toward despising and defying. The drifting has consequences that pushes us off course farther than maybe we might realize. And the Christian life is one of recalibration where we've got to come back. And so we're about to jump into these four verses and unpack them kind of phrase by phrase. But the the overarching picture of these four verses is the tagline of our series. This idea of is don't drift away from Jesus. Draw near instead because Jesus is better. That's the message here of Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. But let's look at verse 1 for a second. Let's kind of pick it apart phrase for phrase. It starts with, therefore, this is going to be one of the seven therefores in the Hebrews uh, letter. And, and, and they're building upon each other. This, this therefore is one word. Your, your NIV may say for this very reason, but this is a jam-packed therefore. It's referencing Hebrews chapter 1 when it was telling us about who Jesus was. And what did Hebrews one tell us about who Jesus was? Is that he is the heir of all things. That's the first thing it told us. It told us that, that, that he was the creator of the world, that he's the radiance of God's glory, that he's the exact imprint of God's nature, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Imagine that, that he's made purification for our sins. And then the seventh thing was, and now he's seated at the right hand of the majesty. This is what the therefore is referring to. And all of chapter one, the, the author's saying, Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. And as Hebrews one kicked off, it says, in these last days, these are the days that you and I live in. In these last days, God has spoken through his son. Therefore, that's the therefore. What do we do? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. This is your first command in Hebrews. Chapter one, all exposition, no command. Just this is who Christ is. And then he gives us something to do. The first command of Hebrews, and I would even add the first command of the entire Christian faith is listen. You don't have to labor. You don't have to perform for God. The first thing that we ought to do is to consider who Christ is, what Christ has said, and what Christ has done. For when you rightly do that, when you rightly consider his majesty, his dignity, his glory, his power, then once you've leaned in, then you you realize the sense of urgency and responsibility to do something to which you've listened to. This isn't some flawed message from a flawed messenger. You are listening to a perfect messenger who has a perfect message. And we are to pay close attention to it. This is a primary command, but it is also a repeated command in Hebrews. Here's the first time where it's like, listen, in a couple of weeks, it's same thing. Hebrews 3, it'll say, if you hear his voice, listen, don't harden your heart. And then we'll pick it up next semester at some point, maybe April, maybe May. But if you've forgotten in Hebrews 12, near the end of the letter, the author will come back and say, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Listen, pay much closer attention. Now the Greek word that's used to, to unpack, pay much closer attention, what we've, uh, what we've translated that to mean is it's actually, a, it's, a, it's a rich word that implies active listening. This is just not passive listening where, yeah, I'll listen to it, but it's leaning in and listening with an intent to act upon it. Like I'm going to heed what is said. 
I'm going to zero in on it and then put it to practice. I'm going to yield to the words. That's what is happening here. This Christ that has spoken to us, it's time to yield to what he says to us. And so question, when was the last time that you did that? That you paid close attention to God in such a way that you were saying, all right, Lord, whatever comes to this, what this book would have me do, what your spirit's whispering here, I'm ready to do it. I'm listening. Speak. Your servant is listening and ready to act. When was that last time? This past week, I was kind of in one of these weeks that I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, there was a lot of drifting going on in my heart. I had a, a, a kind of a, an opportunity, we like to call it around here, to kind of work through some conflict on Thursday morning. And uh, it wasn't necessarily feeling like an opportunity to kind of reconcile, it was feeling like an opportunity for me to like try to win an argument. It's like an opportunity for me to maybe feel heard or feel rightly represented. And I was in one of those moments that uh, the Lord kind of said, hey, 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 you're drifting, come back. And by his good graces, he kind of woke me up a little extra early that morning and I ran to something that I've heard a lot of times. And I went to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five with the sole intent of, all right, Lord, speak. I've heard this before, but let me pay much closer attention to it with a responsibility to act on it. And so I heard, I reminded myself of the truths, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. But there's reward that comes from that. And so I paid much close attention with the intent to act on it. And it changed how my next few hours went with my dear friends as we worked through conflict. Because there's a warning, if we don't do what we did, there's a warning of what will happen to it. It says, lest we drift away from it, is how verse one ends. Lest we drift away from it. Now this word drift is a word that's used nowhere else in your New Testament. And it's, uh, as we keep reminding you, this is incredible Greek that the Hebrews author has said. It's impeccable Greek. It's the best in your New Testament. And he uses really rich, rich words. And this word here means pateruo, which is, uh, or the, the Greek word is pateruo, which is pater for beside or, or by. And ruo just means to float. And this word pictures life like a river where the currents are leading you astray. All you have to do is jump into the river of life and let it float you down. Whether that's the world and its currents, whether that's the enemy or whether it's your flesh, this is the current that we all step into. And it's this picture of all we have to do in order to arrive at a really dark destination is to float the direction that we're already heading. We'll drift away from it. It's this picture of you and I wake up, those of us, if we finally realize who we are in this world, and if we haven't yet known Christ, that current is leading us straight to hell. That destination awaits us. And all we have to do is drift. You don't even have to do anything to get there. You just have to drift there. That's the warning that he's giving you. And this is a word that was sometimes used to even describe careless sailors, not rebellious sailors, not even ignorant sailors, sailors, just careless sailors. It's like this picture of they just, they had their fingers around it, but then they just let it slip away. Because drifting is a serious business. It's kind of haunting for me to think sometimes about how many drifters can be in this room on a Sunday morning. How many of us can be just kind of drifting by this great message 
and great messenger and we just float right on by it. We see it, but it just kind of moves through our fingers. And we talked about at the opening of the message, right? That, that, that a lot of times we can be unaware that we're even doing this. And so let me just give you some signs that you're drifting. The author doesn't necessarily give us a ton of specifics throughout this whole letter. He gives us a couple. But let me just give you some signs that you might be drifting. The first is, and, and look, there could be a million of them. And, and, and I keep reminding you, if you woke up this morning, your, your heart was ready to drift. But if this is like all the Bible you've gotten this week, you're drifting. This has just been a little bit extra than what you've gotten. You're, you're, you're drifting. That's what he's going to say in Hebrews 5. You're, if this is all you're getting, this, is, this, is, this isn't the full diet of spending time with the Lord. And so you're drifting. A second is, and I've seen it a lot, especially of late, especially over the last two or three years, people just church hopping, church shopping. And if you've been doing that for a really long time and you're not connected to a local body of believers, you're drifting. Now look, there's good reasons to leave a church. There's good reasons to speak up at a church. But if you begin to use that as an excuse to look at different churches, well, I can't go there because of that. I can't go there because of that. I can't go there because of that. You're not connected to one of the great means of graces that the Lord has for you, which is the local church. You're not connected to the body. This is a gathering of the church. You and I are called to be the church and that extends well past one or one and a half hours on a Sunday morning. If you're unwilling to see your part in a conflict and work through it, that with others, you're drifting. This week I had a little bit of windshield time. Anyone talk to their windshield when they're trying to win an argument with someone? It's just you and the windshield. Maybe that's the laughter of familiarity. I have given some incredible arguments to my windshield. Some really good ones. Ones that I always win. Put me in a courtroom and I'm better than Perry Mason in front of my windshield. But when I'm talking to my windshield, it's usually a sign that I'm drifting here because I'm not working on my heart right now. I'm just venting ultimately. It's a sign that I'm drifting. If you've grown complacent about sin and you've stopped waging war against it, you are drifting. In this Christian life, we battle sin like crazy. Sin will easily entangle us until we're one day face to face with God. But our call is to war against it here and now. And if we've given into it, if we've grown complacent with its presence in our life, you're drifting. Now I've also, just to make it a little bit more about me for a second, let me just give you some signs that I've just kind of used to go, am I drifting? I have like these little warning flags. As I've examined my life, as I've looked back, I'm like, hey, sometimes when these things are present in my life, it's a sign that I was drifting. The first, and this, some of these will not sound necessarily intuitive at first, but the first one is if I don't have a healthy competitive outlet, like if I'm not chasing a ball with buddies, that's usually a sign that I might be drifting because there's something in me that needs to be competitive at times. And sometimes I turn that into, I gotta win arguments. I gotta win something. Let me win an argument. And so that's a little sign that I gotta be on the alert for. And I've if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know I'm, I'm recovering from a torn ACL. So literally the doctor's like, you can't chase balls with friends right now. So pray for me. I'm working, but I, I, I can't chase balls. And it turns out that, that beating my four-year-old in Candyland, one, isn't healthy, and, and that, that's not doing it for my competitive chops. And so these are a sign 
in my life. There's a couple of others up there. If I'm not reading books, if I'm not, if my quiet time with the Lord has grown stale, if every problem is a level nine or level 10 problem, it's a sign that maybe I'm drifting. What are your signs? What are your signs that you're drifting? You should know those and you should let others in your life know them with you so that they can go, hey, now the last time you drifted, this was present in your life and I see it again. And they can lean in. I know there's a lot of drifters in the room, but I, I wanna tell you there's, and, and, and look, some of you don't need a sign. Some of you knew as soon as I said the word, you're like, that's me, I'm drifting. I know, I'm far off course. I'm easily entangled in something. There's a lot of drifters in the room this morning, but I, I wanna give us a little dash of hope right here. If, if there's a little kind of a twinge in your heart right now, if there's a little kind of, you feel like the spirit of God's kind of poking at it, that's a really good sign. Pay close attention to it. Don't drift by that little twinge. The Lord's trying to grab your heart Because if you drift, that's where the author goes next, that there's consequences that come for drifting. Let's read verses two through the middle of three together. It says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, we'll come back to that, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Translation, if you're not sure what that means, going from lesser to greater, the author is pointing out, hey, Old Testament law, and he's gonna make a reference here that's kind of news to some of us, but it's like, hey, this law that was given on Mount Sinai to Moses, this, this, this good law delivered by angels, somehow, I don't fully understand it, but good messengers, if that was reliable and there was penalty for, for not following that, then how much more for the new covenant? been given by the perfect messenger. How much more will there be penalty if we neglect that covenant? And so just so you know, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, it's somehow, some way, it's not declared fully in the the Old Testament, but the angels played some sort of role in delivering the law to, to Moses. They were some sort of mediator. You can look and it shows up three times in your New Testament, one here. And then real quick, Galatians 3.19 says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Acts 7.53, you who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. Somehow the angels played a role and this Old Testament law, we know this about it. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. What were the Israelites supposed to do with the law? They were to listen to it. They were to pay close attention to it. They were to heed it. Listen actively as a way of going, we will implement this in our lives. We will act upon it. And if we don't, the Old Testament law, you can go read it for yourself. There was clearly a stated penalty for each and every sin. Some of them were uh, a little more minor than others. Some were as severe as that sin will cost you your life. There was a just retribution for all of this. And so if there was... Again, the law, a good, reliable message delivered by good messengers had a real penalty. Why would there not be a penalty for neglecting the gospel, this great salvation, which was a superior message delivered by a perfect messenger? Of course there would be penalty for that. And so let's just stop for a second and and, and narrow in on the phrase great salvation. 
Because I think sometimes we grow numb to the, the gospel, this good news, the, 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 tr- the salvation that the Lord offers us or has provided for us. And our salvation kind of comes in three parts. That's worth reminding ourselves. The first part is justification. Where, 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 where God is uh, removing from us the penalty of sin. We have two great enemies, you and I, as we enter this world and as we walk through it. We have the enemy of sin and we have the enemy of death. Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, that wage that you've earned for you falling short, for me falling short, is death. Sin and death. And yet the author here in Hebrews is trying to remind us God has made provision. In chapter one, what does it say? Jesus made purification for our our sins. And then come back next week as we begin to unpack when it says that Jesus tasted death for everyone, you and me, so that the free gift of God would be found in eternal life with Christ. And all that you and I have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ died the death that we deserved up on the cross. He tasted it for us, carried the burden of our sins on him, and then three days later was raised from the dead. And if we would believe that truth in an instance, you're no longer floating down a river towards darkness. You have been transferred to the kingdom of light. That's a great salvation, amen? But that's not it. The gospel, the good news, our salvation gets richer and sweeter with time. The second aspect of it is sanctification. If you've been justified, this is the journey you're on now, which is sanctification, where you are saved from the power of sin. And this is the letter of Hebrews, calling us to be a sanctified group of people where we can literally be delivered from the power of sin. Yes, sin is still around us, Yes, it still entangles our flesh and it may send us far off course. We may get hundreds of degrees off course. But if you've been justified, that sin doesn't have to have power in your life. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, you may be 100 degrees off course, but I am transferring you degree by degree. I'm transforming you degree by degree into the image of Christ. That's the battle. That's the beauty of sanctification that you may be way off course. And God in his kindness keeps moving you more and more into the image of Christ. What a great salvation. But it's not over yet. It keeps getting sweeter in time when and by the end, glorification, phase three, we will literally be delivered from the very presence of sin. We will be given redeemed bodies, incapable of sin, and free from the corrosive effect of sin. And one day we will look at Christ face to face and our faith will no longer be hearing It will come by sight and that'll be a great salvation. That in that moment, the rest of eternity, we get to spend and Jesus is coming back to make all things right and one day we'll get to see that salvation with death and the devil and darkness defeated. Don't miss on out on that salvation. If you haven't yet trusted in Christ, if you haven't yet been justified, if you haven't had your eternity changed, don't neglect it. There is penalty that awaits for those that neglect it. And if you're walking with Jesus, if you've been justified, but you're drifting, there's still penalty for forgiven sin. So come back. One of the great dangers of the Christian life is losing interest in what is familiar. That word neglect, that is, it's just, it simply carries the idea of not caring enough about something. It's not like, not even like just blatantly turning your back on something. That's sometimes how I neglect 
that, or I define neglect. It's literally like, I, I thought about it. I considered it. I just didn't care enough about it. I lost interest in it. I didn't pay even closer attention to it. I just kind of floated by it. Don't neglect it. Oh, a Hebrews author is going to warn in chapter five to not become dull of hearing. Because this is no ordinary message. This is no ordinary salvation. This is no ordinary messenger. And that's where the Hebrews author is going to finish this little passage of exhortation. He's going to say, uh, finishing, uh, picking up in verse three, it was first declared uh, by the Lord. This message, this great salvation was declared in person by Jesus. That's what Derek taught last week. Some messages have, are so good they have to be delivered in person. That's how good God was is he delivered this message in person. And that would have been enough. But God's not a God of confusion. He's a, he's a clear, he, he wants us to be clear. And so then it says it was attested to us by those who heard. Hundreds of eyewitnesses verified that this man, this savior Jesus died on a cross and three days later his tomb was empty. Hundreds of eyewitnesses confirmed this because God didn't want us to miss it. And God could have stopped there. But all the while, verse four, God also himself bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. As Christ went around teaching in the gospels, there were miracles and signs and wonders that accompanied him. When the apostles, the eyewitnesses kind of carried the message forward, there were signs and miracles and the wonders that, teach, that, 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 that followed their message. It validated the message so that you and I wouldn't miss it. This is a good God. He's not a God of confusion. Your faith, if you are a believer, is the only faith that is rooted in historical reality. No other religion or philosophy has this much evidence, this much verifiable documentation to its roots and its beginnings. God has gone out of his way to reveal the messenger and the message so that we would not miss it. And you and I, in our generation, some of us kind of fall in love with the signs and wonders and miracles when all that those were designed to do was to point us back to the messenger and the message, the maker of the miracle. So don't fall in love with the signs and wonders. You fall in love with the messenger and the message. Don't drift from that. We are without excuse when we don't lean in. You are no fool for paying attention to Christ. Rather, you are a fool if you do not continue to pay much closer attention to this hand-delivered message by God. Let me give you one final observation of, of Hebrews 2 and then maybe talk about how it played out in, in my life a little bit. If you'll notice, and I would encourage you, underline this uh, in this section, but there's, there's, uh, there's five we's in that letter or in those four verses. This is you and me. This is not you guys need to fix out. Y'all are the drift. No, this is a we thing. That we're all prone to do this. And I talked about the, 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 the Christian life is, is one of a series of recalibrations. This week, I, uh, I, I, I told you about my Thursday meeting. Well, on Tuesday, I was trying to kind of, um, I had just the, the benefit of, of having some extended time with the Lord. And, and I was trying to prepare my heart. I was trying to kind of listen and I had some extended time, but I, I opened the book and, 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 and like the words weren't like making sense. Like I wasn't like comprehending them. So at one point I just, I kind of closed the book for a second. 
And, uh, and I just started to talk to God for a little bit and just, just kind of sharing my heart with him. And, and it felt like there was like this encouragement to, to let's go on a walk, put some music on and commune with me that way. This is a great way to commune. This is a great way to commune. And every now and then music is a, is a good way too, right? And I was listening to the song of, of, of Christ will hold me fast. And I was um, just like, Lord, will you remind me these truths of all these things that are going on in my, my life and my faith, it feels a little wobbly right now. And my frustrations seem a little high. And that song starts off of when I fear my faith has failed. And, 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 and I, would, I would start that song and I was like, yeah, but, but you know what, Lord, the reason why my faith is failing is because of other people. And I just start, and all of a sudden I'm drifting. But the Lord in his kindness kind of recalibrates my heart and says, start the song over. Started the song over. I think the second time I didn't even make it to the lyrics before my heart was wandering again. And like, it's like not even a long interlude. I was like five seconds in and I was like, well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The Lord in his kindness recalibrated and said, hey, start the song over. You know how many times I started the song over that Tuesday morning? 27 times. 27 times on a random Tuesday morning, I tried to wander. I tried to drift and the Lord in his kindness recalibrated me. You see, I told you that analogy is a little flawed. It's like not me kind of holding out a phone trying to figure out which way to go. If anything, I'm the phone in the analogy where Christ is holding me going, not that way. You don't want to go that way. Let's recalibrate. And the Hebrews author is going to go on to say he doesn't get tired of this. He doesn't go, there's Parker again, 26th time, wandering off. The pastor is going to tell us in a few chapters, no, this Savior always lives to make intercession for us. He delights in it, pulling us back to center. What a good God. 27 times I tried to float away. And I was reminded as Hebrews 6 says, that Christ is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. He knows what to do with drifters. And you know what it made me want to do? It made me want to draw near. What a great salvation. What a great messenger. Why do I want to keep drifting from someone who loves me so well? That's the message of Hebrews. This is a great messenger who loves us dearly. So don't drift. In fact, pay much closer attention. And in doing so, draw near. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.